What three words solve dad's every problem? Ask your mother. That's impressive. There's a six-year-old who has uh, kept telling his teacher about the baby that was going to come to their home. He was super excited, and he kept telling her over and over and over. Well, one day, the mom uh, took the little boy's hand and put it on her belly, and she felt the baby move, or he felt the baby move. And he's like, oh. So he never said anything to his teacher for the next few weeks. And finally, his teacher sat him down and said, uh, thinking something might have happened uh, that wasn't good. And, and he talked to the young man. He said, now, what's going on with the baby? And the, and the young boy started just tearing up just a little bit. And she goes, what happened? And she, she goes, I think my mommy ate the baby. Well, today is a great day to celebrate the lives of the one who brought us into the world. And it really is an awesome day. Uh, I had to stop at a couple different places. One place last night and a place this morning. In both places, the amount of people purchasing things was outrageous. It was unbelievable. Uh, in fact, we stopped at Jewel last night at about 9 o'clock. And uh, the lady was bringing out flowers the entire time. She just kept replenishing it. Uh, just uh, absolutely. I said, you selling any flowers? <laughs> she, <laughs> she actually thought it was funny. I appreciated it. Here's some interesting facts about Mother's uh, or Mother's Day. Uh, the mother who gave birth to the heaviest child was Car Carmelina Fideli in Italy in 1955. Her newborn weighed 22 pounds, 8 ounces. That's keeper size. The mom with the most kids is Mrs. Fyodor Vasilev of Russia. She gave birth to 69 children between 1725 and 1765. It's a couple. Modern moms in the U.S. have an average of two kids. In the 1950s, the average was 3.5 kids. In the 1700s, 7 to 10 kids was the average. The shortest interval between two births is 208 days, six and a half months. September 3rd, 1999 uh, was their son and their daughter on March 30th, 2000. The oldest mother in modern history to give birth was from India. She was 70 years old in 2008. So some of you, there's still a chance. <laughs> Today, there are going to be about 122.5 million phone calls to mom. On average, it takes a mom two minutes and five seconds to change a diaper. That's equivalent to 40-hour work week each year. Mothers do about 88% of the laundry in the U.S. This equals 330 loads of laundry and 5,300 articles of clothing per year. And according to the stats, her least favorite job is vacuuming the stairs. Mothers are truly a gift of God.
truly a gift. Every last one of them. It's a holiday that we all celebrate together. That's the beauty of taking a day apart and just celebrating it because we celebrate it to show gratitude and love and care, and we try to do that in tangible ways. Mothers are special. One of the most important roles that a mother has, uh, from my vantage point, is her unconditional love. Reggie added, for some reason, he was there when I was writing that sentence, and, he, and he's looking at my computer as I'm writing that, and he goes, oh, and her cooking. <laughs> That's a good point, Reggie. Did you hear about the, the story of, uh, uh, of the mom who uh, she had her four-year-old daughter with her and, and the daughter picked up a wrapper on the ground and she said, stop, put that down. There's germs. You don't know what, where that's been? And she looked at her mom and she said, wow, how do you know this, mom? She goes, well, every mom does. We have to take the mommy test, and, and that's how we know this stuff. The daughter just thought for a while, and just in amazement. She goes, oh, I get it. If you don't pass a test, you become a daddy. <laughs> well, Christian mothers, uh, and I think Pastor Dave mentioned this, Christian mothers have quite a calling quite a calling in their lives uh, of, of what to do. It's, a, it's, it's extremely difficult life to be a mother, but it's an extremely rewarding life to be a mother. And God has given us uh, example after example of mothers who have led their children to the Lord, mothers who have unconditionally loved their children uh, no matter the situation. And it's a challenge today we're going to look at two different mothers in Scripture. Two different mothers uh, that have gone before us, and they were not perfect. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes. They made wrong calls. They even disappointed uh, people. However, they had one thing in common. Love. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. A mother's love is constant. It, 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 can, it can take care of a simple boo-boo uh, that's on a knee. A mother's love can lift a car. A mother's love can wipe away a tear and can celebrate a victory. A mother's love has the ability to love in a way that sometimes us guys can't figure out. We're going to look at the two mothers. The first mother, her name is Jochebed. Jochebed. The mother of Moses. In fact, we're going to, we're going to revisit Jochebed and her husband July 8th, uh, right here during our Hebrews series. So I won't go into great detail, but we will, uh, let's uh, read about Jochebed and what she does with her little son, Moses. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, we'll start, and then we'll go into the chapter 2. 
Let's go to the Lord before we go to our scripture. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you be present with us. I ask that you teach us, that you affect us. May your word be sharper than any two-edged sword. May it pierce our hearts and affect us, uh, male and female, uh, both. May we honor you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Exodus 1, 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Pretty hard to hide a child for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed in bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at the distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called this child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the, so the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Well, my first point about this mother was that she had great respect for human life. She had great respect for human life, and, and I'm greatly saddened, and I'm sure you are too, uh, by the horrendous things that have happened around the world with abortion. Greatly saddened uh, for the disrespect for human life. A woman has a natural instinct given by her father in heaven to protect her baby even before giving birth. That's why there's so many ministries around uh, the country and around the world that have ultrasounds. That's the ministry. They provide women with free ultrasounds so they can see the live baby that's within them. And that will cause a majority of those women to not abort their child because they could see the life, the precious life, the heart beating. This is one of the earliest accounts that we can see of adoption. We could see of adoption. You see, Jacobed cared about her child so much that she was willing to give him away. I think of Reggie. When, we, when Reggie came to us in 2011, he had seven identified parasites eating him from the inside out. And he would have died if he was in Ethiopia much longer. I don't know if his mom understood that or not. I knew they were from an extremely poor area. 
but Reggie's life was about to cease. And yet he was given another opportunity through adoption. Same thing we see with Jacobed. Her son's life was going to be taken. And then he, his body just thrown into the Nile. Yet she cared about him. You see, God values human life so much. We see that all the way at the beginning with Cain and Abel. The value that God has on human life. He saw it was good. And Jochebed valued the life of her own son. There's mothers around the world that have children that are dying and, and their only way of protecting them is through adoption, through giving them to an orphanage. You see that all over the place at uh, fire stations where there's a safe place to drop off your baby. We care about human life. And Jochebed had the wisdom to know that her and her husband, they couldn't do it on their own. There was no possibility the baby was going to be died, was going to die. And God blessed Jochebed because of it. God blessed her. And, and when the Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, Miriam was following along, stepped in, in, in the opportune moment, and somehow got the opportunity to not only raise her child until he was weaned, but got paid for it. God blessed it. Blessed that opportunity. Second point of the story is teaching your child to love and serve the Lord is the utmost importance. Teaching your children to love the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, is the utmost importance. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he grew, was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Ladies, you can put something in your child's life that the devil can't even take. Jesus Christ, the love for Jesus Christ. You can, you can help ingrain that in their life through teaching them all the words of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is the most important job that you ladies have. This is the most important job we have as a church. This is the most important job we have as men. This is absolutely crucial. If we are going to train disciples in Jesus Christ, we need to be focused on teaching our youth, our youngsters, all about the love of Jesus Christ. That's what love is all about. It's all about loving Jesus Christ, about serving him. 3 John 1.4, there is no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. 
Amen? That is wonderful joy. You have a great example in Jacobed, ladies, of raising your children. And she didn't even get to raise her child too many years. Value them, your children, as individuals, and know that their life has great value in the Lord. Teach them to love Jesus Christ any way that you can. What became of her son Moses? 40 years in the palace, 40 years as a shepherd, and 40 years leading the Jews. He led the people out of Egypt through the power of God. He was given the Ten Commandments. He continued to process and, and pave the way for Jesus Christ to be born through the lineage of Abraham. Moses could not have done any of this without his mama taking care of him. Second person I want to share is a wonderful woman who gave her son to the service of the Lord. You guys probably know it already. Good students of the scripture. Story of Hannah from 1 Samuel. You see, Hannah was barren. and She couldn't have a child. And, but she wanted a child desperately. It just didn't seem like God was going to bless her with a child. Here's the story. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply dis distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long are you going to go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Well, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning, worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. 
The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bowl, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bowl, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Wow. We can learn a lot from this godly woman, this godly mother. And I love that the example that Hannah went before the Lord with all of her troubles. In this case, it was not being able to have a child. But it serves us for everything in our lives to go before the Lord with our troubles. Scripture teaches us that we are to cast all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. The Lord cares. He cares if, if you lost that wedding ring, or, or He cares if if you're trying to decide where to go to college or, or if you didn't win that event or he cares if you're trying to figure out how do I raise this child. He cares about every detail in your life. Every detail. Go before the Lord and ask for his help. Beg for mercy on how you can serve him more, how you can love him more. And beg that he blesses you in his way, not the way you want, but in the way he desires. Hannah, Hannah was willing to talk to the Lord, talk to godly leaders, talk to her husband. This is something that we sometimes forget, that we actually need to talk, that we need to have conversations. Talking to the Lord is definitely one thing that we probably don't do enough. Something that I don't do enough. Talk to the Lord. Talking to, to fellow believers that pro can provide some wisdom. It, that needs to happen more. And then if you're married, talking to your spouse. Having a conversation. Being vulnerable with, with your spouse. Letting them know how you feel. Letting her know what's going on. Not just, everything's fine. It's good. Talk it out. There's wisdom in that. But first and foremost, we need to discuss them with our Lord. We need to take it to the Lord. God is serious about prayer, and Scripture's full of, uh, of verses telling us to go before God, to lay it out in front of God, to open our hands and say, it's not ours, God, it's yours. And we're taught 
throughout Scripture, especially in Proverbs, about seeking wisdom from those who are walking in the truth. We see Hannah talking to Eli. Seek wisdom from godly people, people that you see uh, who, are, who are serving God faithfully. Try to gain wisdom. Don't just go to somebody who you know who's going to give you whatever kind of answer you want. Go to people and just lay it out. The second thing Hannah did is she understood that her child was not her own. That her child was God's. And that's hard. That's hard. She understood that, that before Samuel was born, that her whole job was to give him to the service of God. Is that your prayer? Is that what you're thinking about with your children, with your grandchildren, uh, with your nieces or nephews? Sometimes we have uh, opportunities to uh, um, uh, to just affirm families that have newborns, not through baptism, but, but through like a, a dedication and an affirmation. And, and, and we, what we're doing is we're affirming as a church, we're going to come around that, that youngster, come around that family, and we're going we're gonna to love on that kid, and we're going to help that kid grow to know the, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a parent, you want people to gather around you and your family and your kids and, and you want them to help grow them in the Lord. Sherry and I always say it takes a village to raise a family. It's not done in isolation. It's done in community, in fellowship. We're scared to do that sometimes because we want full control. But that's not how God has designed us as people. That's why we have church, why the church was established to lift one another up, to raise each other up, to, to encourage one another. Some of us might think that uh, we're raising our children to be professional athletes or high-end professionals in business or politics. Maybe you're asking, are my kids ever going to get a job? I just want them to have a job, and I'll, be, I'll feel good about it. But our, our ultimate goal here is that we should be focused on one main thing, that they're serving Jesus Christ. That they're serving Jesus Christ. You can do any job in this life. Doesn't matter in the end if you're not serving Jesus Christ. Serving Jesus Christ is, is absolutely crucial. We send our kids to sport camps and, and, and uh, we, we have them in uh, traveling activities. We, we give them violin lessons and, and, and teach them uh, how to read in another language. We focus a lot of energy and time into all kinds of things. And those are great. Those are wonderful things. But where's our focus 
on teaching them to love Jesus Christ. On a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, where is our focus? Not just to check that box off, say, oh, we did that. We sent them to that mission trip. They're all good. We sent them to VBS. We got it taken care of. Many people in my former church, uh, Lutheran church, they have confirmation. And so once they get confirmed, 7th grade, 8th grade, depending on the church, we're all good. They were confirmed. They know it all. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we are to engage with them and teach them all the ways of the Lord, how to love Jesus Christ. And we do it many times by example, how we're loving Jesus Christ on a daily routine, how we're loving them unconditionally. I think of that so often. If my kids make me upset about something, how could I somehow shine through that I love them in spite of their ignorance? Because I think about myself and I think, I am ignorant to serving the Lord purely and wholly, and yet he loves me unconditionally. And then I think, okay, Dad, I need to do the same thing with my grandkids or with, with, with my children or with my nieces or nephews, whatever it is. These young people need to see that unconditional love. But we are people that are conditioned. I'm not going to until they apologize. I'm not going to do this until uh, I can tell that they're sorry about it. And that's not unconditional love. See, that's what many mothers teach us, is that unconditional love. I have seen uh, people in Sherry's extended family where there were some people that went to jail for random things, multiple DUIs or, or whatever. It didn't matter. Sherry's grandmother, her unconditional love was unbelievable. And, and, and it frankly impressed me. When I was younger, I'd be like, oh, I can't believe she's, she's got to stop doing that in my head. But then I, you start to realize, you know what? She's just showing unconditional love because there's something in her that loves her child so much it doesn't matter. We can learn a lot from Hannah. Crucial job. I want to end today's sermon by telling one more story. Lord Francis, he couldn't believe his eyes. A red-haired, blue-eyed woman that was unarmed, and she was issuing orders to the British guards that she wanted to see her two sons in prison. Her name was Elizabeth Hutchinson, and her two sons, they were in prison, and they were sick. Smallpox was running through the prison considerably. And she heard that they were even harmed because they didn't shine the shoes appropriately of one of the guards. So she was mad. She was a mad mother. 
sons were going to die because of their sickness, and, and so she demanded to see them. She didn't care that smallpox was running through the prison. She wanted to see her boys. So Lord Francis gave the order to take the woman in. He thought that that would be absolutely enough. Okay, she got to see him. But nope, Mama came back, and she kept coming back. And she was banging on the commander's door. She, she told, told them, my boys are dying of starvation. I need to get them fed. And then she said, I heard that there's going to be an exchange. There's going to be an exchange of prisoners with the rebels. And she insisted that her boys would be part of that. And she did it over and over and over again. Finally, Lord Francis, being impressed by her boldness, said, okay. It was going to be a huge trek, huge trek to get back. Her oldest son, Robert, his fate was already decided. Right after they got home, their initial home, 40-mile trek, he died of smallpox disease. But Robert's younger brother was still alive, but he had smallpox as well. He was 14 years old, and she sat with him day and night, nursing him back to health. And as soon as he was partially okay, they traveled 160 miles to Charleston Harbor, walking. And then she continued her job of helping American captives aboard disease-ridden British prisoner ships. And that's how Elizabeth died. She was buried in Charleston. You see, sometimes we only talk about our founding fathers, about what they did, but, but you know what? We, we cannot forget of what their mamas did. Many of them, just like Elizabeth's younger son, were able to serve our country because he had the example of his mother who just loved people. He, she cared about people. She helped them back up and nursed them. Who was Elizabeth's boy? Seventh president. The only president to ever pay off the national debt and to leave office in the black. President Andrew Jackson. Friends, take time to thank your mama today. 